We welcome all of you who join us in the pews and those who join us by way of electronic media in spiritual communion here with us at St. Anne's in Washington, D.C. as we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Family, the first of great feasts in this 12 days of the Christmas season. I also want to recognize my two nephews who serve on the altar. This is Joseph Watkins and Aidan Watkins, and my other nephew, Matthew, is with their mom and dad, my brother Ed and his wife, Julie, and they are a holy family as well. I want to also recognize, before we reflect today in this sermon, on the departure of Matthew Bernstein, who is a very faithful parishioner, and Matthew and his fiancée, Laura, are moving to Naples, Florida, after years here of faithful service. So we wish them well. Let's reflect on what it means to belong. To belong. As children, we grow up, perhaps unconsciously at first, belonging to our parents, our natural parents, our adoptive parents, or some parent, someone who has authority over us. We identify with them and we say, I belong to that person. I belong to them. And if brothers and sisters come along, now I belong to them in this family. And as we grow older, we begin to belong to our home, our house, our street. And then we belong to a classroom and classmates and a teacher. And then we belong to this school or that school, and it seemed like school was where we always were growing up. And then we belonged to our little city or our county, and then our state, our nation. And little by little, we begin to see ourselves belonging somewhere, somehow, in the world. We want to fit in, we want to belong, and we find persons or places or things that help us to identify ourselves in that longing. Interesting word, to belong is to long to be. When you think about family, you long to be with your family. You belong to your family and you long to be with them. For many of us, we don't have family, perhaps, or they've died or they've moved on. Or in some cases, we become estranged from family, our natural bloodline family. So we begin to identify new families, new ways of belonging to other persons, other groups. We feel more at home with them, perhaps, than we do our own family. That's not uncommon. Family life can be very difficult. And many then will seek to long for and finally belong to a family. However it works, in the human psyche, there is this natural desire to belong and long to be with others. Now, if that's all true in the natural order, and it is, God created it that way in our psyche. And so if he's going to enter into that natural order by virtue of the birth of the divine man, he's going to take on all of that seriously because he respects the natural order he created. He doesn't bypass it. So he's going to enter into a family. 
with Mary and Joseph. He's going to belong to them in the beginning. In his human nature, he belongs to Mary. He is flesh of her flesh and blood of her blood. When people sometimes ask, what did Jesus look like? Well, every child resembles more or less the mother or the father. In this case, Jesus looked like Mary, more or less. That's the natural order, her DNA, her blood, her flesh, her whole line is his. And he has Joseph as a foster father who's going to teach him how to be a man. Because for Orthodox Jews then, as it is today for the Orthodox, it's the father of the family that teaches the boy, that raises the boy to be a man and to pray. So Joseph would have been taking Jesus to the temple. Joseph would have been teaching Jesus his prayers, the Old Testament. So as Jesus grows in wisdom of the scriptures, it is essential that Joseph be teaching him and Mary as well. But it's the role of the father. So again, God enters into the family, into the natural order, respecting these roles of authority. We're told, even in Luke's gospel, that Jesus went down with them and was what? Obedient to them. Can you imagine? You're God. You're not obedient to anyone. But as man, oh no, you have to be obedient. It's an interesting word, obedient, obedire, to listen up against to go all the way up against, ob, against, and dire, to speak or to listen. To listen to one's parents, to authority, proper authority, and to act upon that. So Jesus, in the beginning, belongs to Mary and Joseph. And what is he going to learn from them in his human nature? He's going to learn what good parents always do. They sacrifice for their children. In fact, marriage and family life is an outward sign, we believe, as an outward sign of that sacrifice and love of God, who sacrificed himself out of love for us. So parents make great sacrifices. Sometimes children don't always appreciate that. My nephews, Matthew and Joseph and Aidan, I wonder, do you always appreciate the sacrifices your parents make for you? good. You're learning. You're learning to appreciate the sacrifices that parents make for you because you will learn then to make sacrifice for others. The whole Christian life of sacrifice, of love for others, of getting outside myself and my own narcissism, my own self-absorption, and to put all of this at service for another is what charity is all about. It's what St. Paul is saying in that second reading beautifully. Put all these things at the service of others, a life of charity, a life of obedience, a life of respect. Paul goes on to speak about family life in that famous letter to the Colossians. And when we were growing up on the Feast of the Holy Family, we'd all be sitting in the pew together as a family. There were six children, and sometimes my uncles would join us and it got to that point where it said, you know, children, be obedient to your parents. And my parents would nudge us, like, get the point. And then it would say things like, wives, be subordinate to your husbands. And we'd all look at mom. 
get the point. And then it said, you know, children, uh, obey your parents and all of that. And then I love that great one. Um, and fathers, do not provoke your children. The old translation was, don't nag your children. And we all look at dad. See, dad? Don't nag us. Don't provoke us. It was a wonderful way for everyone to take his or her part in what is often the struggle of living together, of sacrificing together, of growing together, but always growing together with a sense of belonging to each other. The responsibility that I belong to you and you belong to me in family. And then as we get older, as I said earlier, we begin to identify perhaps new families, different ways of relating. Interesting note about what St. Paul says when he says, um, wives be subordinate to your husbands. That's a very wrong translation in the English because we think of subordination as submission or submissive. Doesn't mean that at all. What St. Paul is saying is that wives place themselves under the headship, the guardianship of their husbands, under the, under the guardianship of a man. It's very important. As Jesus placed himself under the, what? Protection and guardianship of his parents. And then it goes on to say, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, how does Christ love the church? He dies for us. So women actually get the easier part. Men have to die for their wives, if you follow what St. Paul is saying. And that's why I never got married. Now, belonging again. So in the natural order, Jesus uh, is going to belong to Mary and Joseph. And you and I belong to our families and to the world in that family of relationships, whatever and however you define it for yourself. But what Mary and Joseph teach the baby as he grows older is something far more profound, far more wise. Because they can relate to their own experience. And that experience is that ultimately, Jesus, you don't belong to us. Ultimately, you belong to God, which is why they present him in the temple. Now, the presentation takes place 40 days after the birth. Why? Because according to the old law, a woman's period having now given birth with blood, she had to then be sealed up and pure. And they allowed 10 more days to see that through. So 30 plus 10, 40 days after the birth, now she is ritually pure that she and Joseph can go and present the child in the temple. Now the feast of the presentation on February 2nd is the completion of all these birthrights. But in this context, what Mary and Joseph are saying by this ritual act of presentation in the temple, which is the gospel today, is that he now is consecrated to the Lord. He is presented as a gift to God. He no longer belongs to us, ultimately. He belongs to God. And so, as the boy grows in wisdom, he begins to 
no doubt asked the questions of Mary and Joseph about his birth, about his identity. Where did I come from? How did it all happen? Now, did it look like this, friends, this hallmark serenity? That's very beautiful. I'm sure there was serenity. But there were no poinsettias. There were no Christmas trees. There were no smells and bells. Bethlehem in those days was a very poor area. It now is very poor economically as well. Bethlehem, for them, was a dangerous place because they gave birth not in some sophistication, but in a dump, in a hovel, in a pigsty, basically. I mean, the the story of his birth is not glorious in the eyes of the world. It's actually pathetic. And his life in the eyes of the world is a tragedy. Look at it. From the crib to the cross, the life of Jesus is not attractive. The standards of the world will always judge his life as a loser in the eyes of the world. No. But in the eyes of faith, ah. Now we have 2,000 years. So what did he learn from them? He must have asked them, what was it like? And I'm sure, with all respect, Joseph must have said, Son, it was a nightmare. Now keep it real. God respects the real. This is not disrespectful. Joseph must have said, you know what? It was very difficult. Well, why, Dad? You know why? Because I had planned to marry your mother, and we are going to have our own children. We are going to raise them here in this little town of Bethlehem. And we're going to have our own plan, our own family, the way I wanted it, the way she and I dreamed it would be. And Mary could well say, you're right, Joseph. It was very difficult. Did I ever tell you about the Annunciation scene on March 25th, nine months before Christmas Day? Whatever that day was, when the angel came and we're told again and again that Mary was very, very upset, perturbed greatly disturbed by the message of the angel that she would be the mother of the Messiah. These were difficult circumstances. And then Joseph could go on to say, let me go back to that nightmare. Herod was out to kill you. And for two years, we had to go into Egypt by donkey. There were no maps. There were no lights. There was no GPS. And we were Jews going into Egypt. We could have been enslaved or killed. Do you know how difficult this was, Jesus? Not to make you feel guilty or anything, but it was not easy. And then to come back and start all over again? So the first couple of years, son, you had a very difficult childhood. Just keep it real. That's what creation is, see? And family life is real. We have this hallmark presentation, but it was perhaps nothing like that, right? So what they teach the boy is sacrifice. Mary was willing to sacrifice her life out of love for God. Joseph was willing to sacrifice his life out of love for God. And the two of them 
would then bring into this world and raise the child to teach him, thy will be done. These are the very words that Jesus would echo on a cross at the tender age of 33. Where did he learn that? Where does he get the wisdom to know that ultimately my life is about selfless sacrifice? He got it from his parents. That's the natural order. So if we don't teach our children that, then we do them great injustice. Because what will happen is, over time, if they don't ultimately realize that they belong to God, they're going to start looking for longing, belonging to all sorts of other things, other persons, other places, other things that will consume them. And we know that experience. So if I don't get that longing for God first that Mary and Joseph had and accepted in selfless sacrifice, then my life gets very confusing, very frustrating, very unhappy, perhaps even angry. Because the natural order is for us to be with God. That's how he created us. He made us for himself. He's a very selfish God, by the way, in that respectful way of saying it. He wants us for himself, not for the world. So it's very important that this feast reminds us where we ultimately belong. Not in the world. Oh yes, in the world, but not of the world. And that our focus is really on heaven, ultimately. So that everything we're doing in this life is but preparation for that. Preparation to be with our family in heaven, with the angels, with the saints, our best friends, our true family. So finally then, if you don't have family anymore, or you've been estranged from family, or family just has let you down, or you just don't identify anymore with them, you have a family now, the church, the family of faith. You become adopted sons and daughters of God. And the most important relationship that Jesus ever had was not with Mary or Joseph, with all respect. It was with his heavenly father, Abba. He actually calls him Abi in Aramaic, Daddy. The most intimate relationship Jesus ever had was with his father in heaven. And it governed everything in his life. Mary and Joseph knew that. Mary and Joseph practiced that. They ultimately belonged to God. They taught the boy that. We should teach each other that too, by our example, and celebrate the great family feast, which is the church, in which now we all belong to God. And God has chosen to long for and belong to us in his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and through his church. Merry Christmas, everyone.